Okay, welcome to electrostatics and magnetism. Electrostatics is the study of stationary charges and the forces that are created by and which act upon these charges. Okay, so charges. Um, there's the proton, positive charge, electron, negative charge. Uh, opposite charges have attractive forces and uh, like charges have repulsive forces. Uh, electrostatic force might be repulsive or attractive depending on the science of the charges. Uh, most matter is electrically neutral and when charges are out of balance, the system can become unstable electrically. Uh, so a ground is a means of returning charge to earth. Static charge buildup or static electricity is more significant in drier air because lower humidity makes for charge easier to become and remain separated. The SI unit of charge is the coulomb, and then the fundamental unit of charge is E equals 1.60 times 10 to the negative 19th coulombs. The proton and electron have this amount of charge, but the proton is positively charged and the electron is negatively. Uh, they do not share the same mass because the proton has a much greater one than the electron, and like mass and energy, its electric charge is governed by conservation. So it can't be created nor destroyed. An insulator will not easily distribute a charge over its surface and will not transfer that charge to another neutral object very well, especially not to another insulator. Uh, the electrons of insulators are closely linked with their respective nuclei, and most nonmetals are insulators. Then we have a conductor. The charges will distribute approximately evenly upon the surface of the conductor, and they're able to transfer and transport charges, and they're used in circuits or electrochemical cells. They're nuclei surrounded by a sea of free electrons that are able to move rapidly throughout the material, and they're only loosely associated with the positive charges, so like metals, uh, ionic solutions. Then we have Coulomb's law. It's the magnitude of the electrostatic force, F sub E, between two charges. It's equal to KQ1Q2 over R squared. F sub E is the magnitude of the electrostatic force. K is Coulomb's constant. Q1Q2 are magnitudes of the two charges, and R is the distance between the charges. Coulomb's constant is the electrostatic constant. It's a number that depends on the units used in the equation. So in SI, it's equal to 1 over 4 pi uh, squiggly E naught, and it equals 8.99 times 10 to the 9th meter squared over Coulomb squared. And the fancy E naught represents the permittivity of free space, which is 8.85 times 10 to the negative 12th Coulomb squared over Newton's per meters, Newton's times meter squared. The direction of force may be obtained by remembering that unlike attract and like repels, and the force always points along the lines connecting the centers of the two charges. <sighs> so Coulomb's law is also like the uh, gravitational force equation. So electrostatic force equation, the force magnitude is proportional to the charges, and this is similar to the proportional relationship between gravitational force and mass. And yeah. Uh, electric fields make their presence known by exerting forces on other charges that move into the space of their fields. So whether the force exerted through the electric field is attractive or repulsive depends on whether the stationary test charge, Q, the charge placed in the electric field, and the stationary source charge, capital Q, which actually creates the electric field, are opposite charges. So attractive or like charges, which are repulsive. So the magnetic magnitude of an electric field can be calculated in one of two ways. Um, so this equation is E equals either F sub E over little q, or it's equal to K times big Q over R squared. So E is electric field magnitude in newtons per coulomb. F sub E is the magnitude of the force felt by the test charge little q, and K is the electrostatic constant. Capital Q is the source charge magnitude, and R is the distance between the charges. So electric field is a vector quantity, and we will uh, discuss the process of determining the direction. Uh, so...
Basically, you could either place a test charge Q at some point, measure the force exerted on that test charge, and define the electric field at that point in space as the ratio of the force magnitude to test charge magnitude. But the disadvantage is that a test charge has to actually be present in order for a force to be generated and measured, but sometimes it's not really actually there. The second method is um, calculating the electric field magnitude at a point in space without the presence of a test charge. We just need to know the magnitude at the source charge and the distance from the source charge and the point in space at which we want to measure the electric field. So we need to know the value of the source charge um, and, yeah. By convention, the direction of the electric field vector is given as the direction that a positive test charge would move in the presence of the source charge. So if the source charge is positive, then the test charge would experience a repulsive force and would accelerate away from the positive source charge, and then vice versa. And we can look at the electric field vectors as uh, field lines. So they can either radiate outwards or point away from the charge, and then negative charges have electric field vectors that radiate inwards or they point towards the charge. So the field lines are an imaginary line. They express how the positive test charge would move in the presence of the source charge. They're drawn in the direction of the actual electric field vectors, and they indicate the relative strength of the electric field at a given point in the space of a, shield, of a field. Uh, if the test charge within a field is positive, then the force will be in the same direction of the, as the electric field vector of the source charge, and if the test charge is negative, then the force will be in the direction opposite to the field vector of the source charge. Then we're going to talk about electric potential energy. So it's a form of potential energy that's dependent on the relative position of one charge with respect to another charge or to a collection of charges. It's equal to U equals K times big Q times little Q over R. If charges are like charges, both positive, both negative, then the potential energy is positive. If they're both unlike, um, then the potential energy will be negative. So work and energy have the same unit, the joule. So we can define that for a charge at a point in space in an electric field as the amount of work necessary to bring that charge from infinitely far away to that point. So um, if we define D as a distance R that separates two charges uh, and assume the force and displacement vectors to be parallel, then delta U equals W equals FD cosine theta equals FR times 1 equals KQQ over R squared times R equals KQQ over R. So yeah. The electric potential energy of a system will increase when two like charges move toward each other or when two opposite charges move apart. And conversely, the electric potential energy of a system will decrease when two like charges move apart or when two opposite charges move toward each other. Uh, electric potential is defined as the ratio of the magnitude of a charge's electric potential energy to the magnitude of the charge itself. Uh, it's V equals U over Q. V is electric potential measured in volts and 1V equals 1 joule per coulomb, and if there's no test charge Q, we can still calculate the electric potential of a point in space, as long as we know the magnitude of the source charge and the distance from the source charge to the point in space in the field. So it's B equals K times big Q over R. Uh, it's a scalar quantity. The sign is determined by the sign of the source charge Q. For a positive source charge, V is positive, negative, V is negative. And for a collection, the total electric potential at a point in space is the scalar sum of the electric potential due to each charge. Uh, so, because electric potential is inversely proportional to the distance from the source charge, a potential difference will exist between two points that are at different distances from the source charge. If V sub A and V sub B are the electric potentials at points A and B, then the potential difference between them, known as the voltage, is VB minus VA. And so the potential difference is equal to delta V equals VB minus VA equals the work AB uh, over Q. So the work needed to move a test charge Q through an electric field from point A to point B. 
Uh, work depends only on the potentials of the two points A and B and is independent of the actual pathway taken. And so electrostatic force is a conservative force. Okay. So for a positive test charge, um, you move from a position of higher electric potential to a lower electric potential position. And this is negative voltage because Q is positive and work AB must be negative, which represents a decrease in electric potential energy. Uh, so the takeaway basically, so positive charges will spontaneously move in the direction that decreases their electric potential or negative voltage. And negative charges will spontaneously move in the direction that increases their electric potential, so positive voltage. But in both cases, the electric potential energy is decreasing. So then we have some special cases uh, in electrostatics. So there's an equipotential line. It's a line where the potential energy at every point is the same. So the potential difference between any two points on an equipotential line is zero. They, like, they might look like a concentric circle surrounding a source charge. Um, there's, so basically there's no work done when moving a test charge Q from one point on an equivalent potential line to another. Work will be done in moving a test charge Q from one line to another, but the work depends only on the potential difference of the two lines and not on the pathway taken between them. So furthermore, a change in the object's gravitational potential energy will not depend on the pathway taken from one height to another, but on the actual vertical displacement. And then we have electric dipoles. So uh, results from two equal and opposite charges being separated a small distance from each other, and they could be transient, like the moment-to-moment -moment changes in electron distribution that create linear dispersion forces, or permanent, like in the case of molecular dipoles of water or the carbonyl. Uh, so the dipole can have charges plus Q and minus Q separated by distance of D. Uh, plus Q and minus Q are source charges, and they're written in lowercase, though. Um, given the dipole, we might want to calculate the electrical potential at some point P near the dipole, and the distance between the point in space is R1, and then for positive Q and then for negative Q is R2. So V equals KQ over R1 minus KQ over R2, and that's equal to KQ parentheses R2 minus R1 over R1, R2. And for points in space relatively distant from the dipole compared to D, the product of R1 and R2 is approximately equal to the square of R, and R1 minus R2 is approximately equal to D cosine theta. So when we plug these, we get V equals KQD over R squared cosine theta. The, the product of charge and separation distance is defined as the pi dipole moment P, where with SI units of coulombs times meters. So P equals QD. The dipole moment is a vector, but its direction is defined differently. Um, physicists have it as the line connecting the charges with the vector pointing from negative towards positive, and chemists have it reversed, so the P point from the positive charge towards the negative charge. Yeah. Uh, and then there is the perpendicular bisector of the dipole. So this is the plane that lies halfway between positive Q and negative Q. Because of the angle between this plane and the dipole axis is 90 degrees and cosine 90 is theta, the electrical potential at any point along this plane is zero. So the magnitude of the electrical field on the perpendicular bisector of the dipole can be approximated as E equals 1 over 4 pi fancy E naught times P over R cubed. And the electric field vectors at the points along the perpendicular bisector will point in the direction opposite to P, which is defined directly by physicists. Uh, so the net torque on the dipole can be calculated from the equation uh, torque equals P capital E sine theta. P is the magnitude of the dipole moment. P equals QD. E is the magnitude of the uniform external electric field. And theta is the angle at the dipole moment makes 
that the dipole moment makes with the electric field. So this torque will cause the dipole to reorient itself so that its dipole moment P aligns with the electric field E. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the last topic that we're gonna go through is magnetism. So any moving charge has a magnetic field created by it. They might be set up by the movement of individual charges. Uh, or by the mass movement of charge in the form of a current through conductive material and by permanent magnets. The SI unit is the Tesla, so one Tesla equals one Newton second over meter coulomb. The size is quite large, so small magnetic fields are sometimes measured in Gauss, where one Tesla is equal to 10 to the fourth Gauss. Diamagnetic materials are made of atoms with no unpaired electrons and that have no net magnetic field. Uh, they're slightly repelled by a magnet, and they can be called weakly anti-magnetic. They include materials like wood, plastics, water, glass. Um, paramagnetic materials will become weakly magnetized in the presence of an external magnetic field, aligning the magnetic dipoles of the material with the external field. So upon removal of the external field, the thermal energy of the individual atoms will cause the individual magnetic dipoles to reorient in a moon. So like aluminum, copper, gold. Uh, so the atoms of both paramagnetic and ferromagnetic materials have unpaired electrons, so they both do have a net magnetic dipole moment, but the atoms in these materials are usually randomly oriented so that the material itself creates no net magnetic field. Ferromagnetic materials, like paramagnetic materials, have unpaired electrons, and they're permanently atomic magnetic dipoles that normally oriented randomly so that the material has no net magnetic dipole. I just said that. But um, they will become strongly magnetized when exposed to a magnetic field or under certain temperatures. So there's like iron, nickel, cobalt. Um, and then for magnetic fields, uh, for an infinitely long and straight current carrying wire, we can calculate that the magnetic magnitude of the magnetic field produced by the current I and the wire at a perpendicular distance R from the wire as B, the magnetic field at a distance R from the wire. So B equals uh, micron naught times I over 2 pi R. Uh, micron naught is the permeability of free space, so 4 pi times 10 to the negative 7 tesla times meters over angstroms. And I is the current. Uh, I don't know if that's angstroms. It's over capital A. The equation demonstrates an inverse relationship between the magnitude of the magnetic field and the distance from the current, so straight wires have magnetic fields in the shape of concentric rings. And to determine the direction of field vectors, use the right-hand rule. Uh, point your thumb in the direction of the current. Wrap your fingers around the current carrying wire. Your fingers then mimic the circular field lines curling around the wire. And for a circular loop of current carrying wire of radius r, the magnitude of the magnetic field at the center of the circular loop is given as b equals micron naught times i over 2r. The difference is just that it doesn't have the constant pi, and the less obvious the difference is that the first expression gives the magnitude of the magnetic field at any perpendicular distance r from the current carrying wire, while the second expression gives the magnitude of the magnetic field only at the center of the circular loop of current carrying wire with radius r. Uh, and then we're going to talk about magnetic forces. So um, magnetic fields only exert forces on other moving charges, and charges do not sense their own fields. They only sense the field established by some external charge or collection of charges. Um, so the sum of these electrostatic and magnetic forces is known as the Lorentz force. So when a charge moves in a magnetic field, a magnetic force may be exerted on it, the magnitude of which can be calculated as follows. So F sub B equals QVB sine theta. Q is the charge, V is the magnitude of its velocity, B is the magnitude of the magnetic field, and theta is the smallest angle between the velocity vector V and the magnetic field vector B. 
So magnetic force is a function of sine of the angle, which means the charge must have a perpendicular component of velocity in order to experience a magnetic force. If the charge is moving parallel or anti-parallel to the magnetic field vector, it will experience no magnetic force. And you can use the right-hand rule again here. So to determine, to determine the direction of the magnetic force on a moving charge, first position your right thumb in the direction of the velocity vector, then put your fingers in the direction of the magnetic field lines. Your palm will point in the direction of the force vector for a positive charge, whereas the back of your hand will point in the direction of the force vector for a negative charge. So parts of the right-hand rule for magnetic force, so thumb is velocity, direction of movement, like a hitchhiker's thumb. Fingers are field lines. They're parallel like the uniform magnetic field lines. Palm is the force on a positive charge, so you might give a high five to a positive person, and back of the hand is a force on a negative charge, so you might give a backhand person. You might give a backhand to a negative person. And then we have the force on a current carrying wire. So for a straight wire, the magnitude of the force created by an external magnetic field F sub B is equal to I L B sine theta. I is the current, L is the length of the wire in the field, and B is the magnitude of the magnetic field, and theta is the angle between L and B. And the same right-hand rule can be used. Just remember that a current is considered the flow of positive charge. Okay, so concept summary time. Um, the SI unit of charge is the coulomb. Protons have positive, electrons are negative. Both have the fundamental unit of charge 1.60 times 10 to the negative 19 coulombs, but they have different masses. Opposite are attractive, like charges exert repulsive forces. Conductors allow the free and uniform passage of electrons when charged, and insulators resist the movement of charge and will have localized areas of charge that don't distribute over the source, of the, over the surface of the material. Coulomb's law gives the magnitude of the electrostatic force vector between two charges. The force vector always points along the line connecting the centers of the two charges. Every charge has an electric field, which it can exert force on other charges. The electric field is the ratio of the force that ex is exerted on a test charge to the magnitude of that charge. Electric field vectors can be represented as field lines that radiate outward from positive source charges and radiate inward to negative source charges, and positive test charges will move in the direction of the field lines, and negative will move in the direction opposite. Electric potential energy is the amount of work required to bring the test charge from infinitely far away to a given position in the vicinity of a source charge. The electric potential energy of a system will increase when two light charges move toward each other and when two opposite charges move farther apart. And the electric potential energy of a system will decrease when two opposite charges move toward each other or when two light charges move farther apart. Electric potential is the electric potential energy per unit charge. Different points in the space of an electric field surrounding a source charge will give different potential electric potential values. Potential difference or voltage is the change in electric potential that accompanies the movement of a test charge from one position to another. Potential difference is path independent and depends only on the initial and final position of the test charge and the units uh, for both electric potential and voltage or volts. Test charges will move spontaneously in whichever direction results in a decrease in their electric potential energy, so positive test charges will move spontaneously from high potential to low potential, and negative will move from low to high. Equipotential lines designate the set of points around a source charge or multiple source charges that have the same electric potential. Equipotential lines are always perpendicular to electric field lines. The work will be done when a charge is moved from one equipotential line to another. The work is independent of the pathway taken between the lines. No work is done when a charge moves from a point on an equipotential line to another point on the same equipotential line. Two charges of opposite signs separated by a fixed, fixed distance D generate an electric dipole. In an external electric field, an electric dipole will experience a net torque until it's aligned with the electric field vector. An electric field will not induce any translational motion in the dipole regardless of its orientation with respect to the electric field vector. And magnetism, so magnetic fields are created by magnets and moving charges. The SI unit is a Tesla. One Tesla equals 10,000 Gauss. Diamagnetic possess no unpaired electrons and are slightly repelled by a magnet. Paramagnetic have some unpaired electrons and become weakly magnetic in an external magnetic field. And ferromagnetic have some air unpaired electrons and they become strongly magnetic in an external magnetic field.
Magnets have a north and south pole, and field lines point from the north to the south. Current carrying wires create magnetic fields that are concentric circles surrounding the wire. External magnetic fields exert forces on charges moving in any direction except parallel or anti-parallel to the field. Point charges might undergo uniform circular motion in a uniform magnetic field, wherein the centripetal force is a magnetic force acting on the point charge. The direction of the magnetic force on a moving charge or current carrying wire is determined using the right-hand rule, and the Lorentz force is the sum of the electromagnetic, the electrostatic and the magnetic forces acting on a body. Uh, so that was a lot. I think that was a little bit challenging. I just think all of physics is challenging. So, anyways, I'll see you when we talk about circuits. Bye bye.